Welcome to the panel discussion, Foundations for Enterprise IT, Modernizing for a Secure, Agile Government, sponsored by Lidos. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Greg Garcia, the Chief Information Officer at G6 of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Michelle Sparrowwalker, the Department Director in the Information Resource Management Bureau's Systems and Integration Office in the Department of State, Todd Simpson, the Chief Product Officer for the Department of Health and Human Services, Kelly O'Connor, a Product Manager for the Veterans Affairs Department's Digital Services Team, and Angie Heisey, the President of the Civil Group for Lidos. Welcome to the discussion today. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion. Over the last eight years since the cloud first policy, one thing has become clear. Success in moving to the cloud depends mainly on understanding what applications you have today and rationalizing them for the future. It's the one thing to move email or public websites, but true success with the cloud, reducing costs, getting better cybersecurity, becoming agile, flexible, improving capabilities is what most agencies really are striving for. Agencies seem to have settled on a hybrid strategy to moving to the cloud, using the commercial cloud for some less critical services, and a government-only commercial cloud or an on-premise cloud for other more sensitive services. Uh, Gartner, the market research firm, in 2017 said 75% of all IT managers they surveyed are using hybrid cloud to meet their needs, while adoption has increased by 13% in 2017 over 2016, while overall cloud adoption has increased by only 2%. At the same time, the effort to consolidate and move data centers to the cloud uh, has seen some fits and starts as well. Agencies must close 25% of their tiered data centers and 60% of their non-tiered data centers by the, by the end of fiscal 2018. The latest numbers from OMB on the federal IT dashboard show that out of 2,000 tiered data centers, only 198 have been closed so far. And out of 7,200 non-tiered data centers, 2,900 have closed, been closed so far. Both are well off the goals. Still. Cloud, data center migration, underpin the Trump administration's IT modernization efforts. Just look at the contracts from GSA, Alliant 2, Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or the EIS contract. Both of these vehicles are seen as the key from IT modernization. And just for a recent example, look at the, the, about the role the cloud will play in IT modernization. Look at the RFP for payroll processing systems that just depends on the software as a service model. It's cloud, it's shared services, it's a new approach to federal processes that we really haven't seen and haven't been upgraded in the last 15 years. So once again, with that context in place, let's turn to our guests. Once again, Greg Garcia, the Chief Information Officer, G6 of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Michelle Walker-Sparrow, the Department Director in the Information Resource Management Bureau Systems and Integration Office at the Department of State. Todd Simpson, the Chief Product Officer at the Department of Health and Human Services. Kelly O'Connor, a Product Manager for the Veterans Affairs Department's Digital Services Team, and Angie Heisey, the President of Civil Group for Lidos. Todd, I'm going to start with you since you've uh, been working in the cloud, seems like, for uh, quite a while. Uh, let's just talk about your role at HHS in terms of where cloud migration, data center consolidation, and all that kind of fits in. What's the strategy? It's great. So my position was really created to get to the highest perch where we can start talking about platforms and, and true enterprise platforms. Uh, and um, offer those services to the lowest common denominator. And uh, the, the chief product office is really uh, designed, I think, to leverage the cloud and other tools like software as a service to drive microservices with the ultimate goal of uh, bringing about more interoperability, reducing um, the, the, dupl the duplication of systems that are out there, and driving um, our ability to use the data that we have available to, the, to us. And like anything, I think you did a great job opening up with where we're at with the cloud and all of these efforts, uh, DCOI, the Data Center Optimization Initiative um, from OMB, um, previously the Federal Data Center Consolidation Initiative, all these things have been uh, morphed in driving infrastructure optimization and infrastructure efficiency and cloud is just one more piece of that in my opinion. And you guys at HHS specifically, there's been uh, kind of, uh, I'll call it, um, small steps to get to the cloud. Uh, the FDAs and NIH maybe are ahead of some other areas, but, but your role is bringing all that effort together into a kind of, I don't call it centralization per se, but at least a, a combined effort. Right, so you, you bring up a, a good point. Um, while I was at the, the FDA as CIO for those three years pre previous to coming to this role, we did remarkable things with the cloud. 8% of our application footprint is now in the cloud. We sponsored uh, almost a dozen CSPs, cloud service providers through our cloud brokerage model. I think we were uh, running pretty fast. I don't want to take anything away from any other optives, but HHS just actually won the first FedRAMP 5 award for the large agency, and I'd like to think that the FDA had a lot to do with that. 
Excellent. Now, Kelly, I was uh, able to, to go to an event where one of your colleagues spoke about the wonderful work you guys are doing at VA. Talk a little bit about where the cloud fits into the digital services effort across VA. Sure. So VA is already taking a cloud-first approach with new development. So we've launched close to 50 veteran-facing digital products over the past three years. So these are things like apply for healthcare, check the status of your appeal, find a VA facility. So. Um, like many other government agencies, VA has evolved to have hundreds of systems hosted across hundreds of data centers. So for those legacy systems, we are really committed to migrating as many of those as possible to leading commercial cloud providers because it's exponentially less expensive while at the same time it provides much better performance. So things like availability, sustainability, maintainability. So our role as a digital service team, we're a small team at VA, we play a support role, not just at VA but at other agencies as our IT colleagues lead this pretty massive effort to migrate um, hundreds of applications to the cloud using tools like our digital service playbook. And as you look at your strategy and say we're going to use the commercial cloud, why was that the, the decision versus keeping it on-premises or a government-only internal cloud within VA? Was, was there a driving factor besides maybe cost? Super important. Why? So if you look at our digital service playbook, um, it's really important to understand the real problem. That's the first play. So we make data-driven decisions. So when we started looking at things around availability, um, we found that some of our applications are well below industry standards for you know 99.99% availability. So we use data and we use user needs to really drive those decisions. Excellent. Uh, Angie from Lightos, you guys uh, are seeing this happening daily, so maybe talk a little bit about from your perspective, what's the trends you're seeing around cloud migration, cloud strategies across the government and customers? Absolutely, so Lightos is probably a little bit of a unique position because we've done about a thousand cloud migrations across not only internal to our own company, uh, but across all of our customer sets. And we really work with our customers as well as our internal CIO shop to determine, right, is the driver from a cost savings perspective, is it an agility and speed perspective, or is it a disaster recovery or security, right? What are the strategies and the real intent uh, behind moving to the cloud? So that way we can put the right roadmap and strategy in place and determine which application should move to make sure that we can achieve that end state goal for whether it's a customer or our own internal business processes. So one thing when you talk about the right drivers and then what's the right roadmap, do, do you get a sense that agencies understand those two things or is that still part of this kind of the pieces that need to come into place to really make the bigger jump to cloud? I think, I think most customers understand what their drivers are. It's really a prioritization to make sure that we're able to ensure that they achieve those results and prioritize whether it's which applications, if there's business processes that are going to have to change as a, um, a lot of times as a result of application rationalization, there's a lot of other work that goes along with it to be able to achieve that end result. And I think, yeah, uh, we'll get into all that other work that needs to go into it, I think, later on in the program. Let's turn to Michelle Sparrow-Walker from State Department. Uh, State also has been uh, down this path of data center consolidation, but maybe less about the cloud. Give me a sense of where you guys are at. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, our, our cloud strategy right now, we kind of have two trains on two tracks and from the perspective that, well, first of all, IT at the department is central is decentralized, right? It's not all within the, the um, under the CIO's purview and Information Resource Management Bureau. So um, our business units, have independently um, moved out to acquire um, solutions that meet their individual business needs platform and SaaS solutions that meet their individual business needs. But from an enterprise perspective, um, the CIO has been focused on uh, moving mail to the cloud, collaboration, file storage, and things of that nature. In fact, we're on target to move about 50% of our um, mailboxes across the department, about 60,000 um, mailboxes, both overseas and domestically, into the cloud by with, within the next month, actually. So, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty aggressive schedule, but again, our business units have sort of moved out independently um, to meet their individual business needs with their own IT dollars, but from an enterprise perspective, the CIO is trying to, um, you know, move the enterprise solutions um, into the cloud. Um, we also, but from a longer term perspective, we're, we're focused on, um, you know, creating some centers of excellence from some of those early adopters of these PaaS and SaaS solutions, um, being able to 
um, gain some economies of scale by consolidating platforms and negotiating enterprise license agreements that, that will give the department a better price point for some of the things. We have, we have business units that are going, we have multiple different organizations buying the same solutions, right? So, um, you know, we know that there's a, a more cost-effective way to do that, but so the CIO's focused on um, trying to, you know, converging those two um, sort of two separate trains on the two tracks to, to bring things together into a more consolidated single um, cloud strategy. So that's, that's what we're looking at in the future. No, the decentralization that state faces, and I've talked to several of your former CIOs over the years, that, that's probably the, the most difficult piece. The question, I guess, comes back to is how do you get people on that same train, right? If they're, if they're going, that the trains are diverging, how do you bring them back together? Yeah. Is that just showing value, or is that kind of somebody pounding their fist saying this will be done? Yeah, well, okay. the, the pounding of the fist hasn't worked. It's the State Department, right? Yeah. Everything's a negotiation, right? <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I think it's I think it's the you know what's in it for me um, phenomenon, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, what we really try to do, particularly with data center consolidation, you know, speak, you know, going back to decoy for a second. Um, when we started looking at decoy and OMB's definition, we did a, an, an, um, an inventory across the department. We found 100 plus data centers out there that are outside of the enterprise data centers that we manage within the Information Resource Management Bureau. Um, so what we try to help our business units understand is that the, the funding that they're using to spend on their own data centers, they can, they can turn that money back into um, you know, the business side of, the, of, their, fun, uh, of their mission um, if they move their infrastructure into our enterprise data centers. And so we're trying to, to um, you know, focus on the financial aspect of it and the savings that they can see um, by either moving into the consolidated, uh, I'm sorry, the enterprise data center or migrating into the cloud, which is also, um, you know, going to allow us to significantly reduce our, our particular non-tiered data center footprint. That's a great point about the what's in it for them piece. And uh, Kelly, I know you guys, I'm going to move to Greg, but I know you guys have a great story that I've heard about VA reducing costs to move money back to veterans. But I'm going to go to Greg instead. So Greg, talk a little bit about Army Corps of Engineers and, and your, your move to the cloud. Your, your Corps of Engineers is in over 1,500 locations. We're very much like state, very dispersed population. Uh, and I think one thing that's a little uh, unique is in the sense that we have a contingency response mission. So. Uh, these locations are all across the United States, and during storm, uh, fires, uh, hurricanes, floods, these still have to operate. So that's the challenge, and those, uh, for a lot of our civil works uh, locations, we actually have satellite collections uh, with the national government, with FEMA and NOAA. So there's a sort of a hybrid approach we've had to do because we have to have that connectivity of the satellite information to help uh, inform the emergency response functions of the whole of government effort. So really we've turned to, as you've highlighted, the business functions of uh, email, collaboration, presence and awareness, chat, moving to Office 365, we're in the um, uh, moving to velocity migration this uh, coming summer and probably finish uh, in the calendar year. Uh, we also have two presence uh, in AWS and in Azure for our public website activities. As you know, a lot of our information we do share directly with the public, uh, and that's a, a continuing mission in environmental regu regulation and, and uh, civil works restoration projects. So we really have uh, that public end uh, a foothold in two clouds, the hybrid end of getting our business in there, and really we're partnering to with the DOD and the Army to get to the for official use only aspect of that. And so we're, we're, we're really on that course to synchronize our app rationalization, our data center closures, to make that sort of not a four or five step process, but it's a you know, short burst of uh, success. The cloud for someone like the Army Corps of Engineers, and really for all, I think everybody at the table here, uh, offers so much potential, uh, but at the same time, there's still that, that I don't know, call it concern. Does Army Corps have other concerns because of the unique nature of your mission than maybe other, uh, beyond the classified side mm -hmm. in, in nature, but... but big it, data sets, right? Yeah. So for like flood inundation mapping, we have to push big data sets around. So the question is, uh, how do I get that cache locally to make a local commander have the information he needs to inform his his county, his state, his uh, region about the life lost property uh, con uh, continuum there. So part of that is when we push these big data sets around, we, you know, in a national emergency, how do you have the pipes that are available in that? And that's really that blended hybrid approach, I think, where we can maybe store it in the cloud and then cache it forward. In, so when those contingencies do happen, we'll have that data available to make the informed decisions that we need to make. 
the, the hybrid approach is one I hear time and again. Maybe bring Todd back and go first, full circle of the discussion. The hybrid approach, you saw that at FDA. You're probably seeing that throughout all of HHS. That seems to be what people are comfortable with as a, as a migration strategy. I think it supports the, the cloud smart approach or and previously cloud first. It was always cloud smart. People were always, I think, making, I, I don't think it was an always, um, there was ever a time when people were just trying to throw stuff into the cloud. It's always been an, an arduous journey and um, it's been a journey mostly driven by the customers because we're all in federated environments where the budget authority is at the lowest level. And, um, and I think the, the president's recent executive orders that he's been signing um, show that their leadership is aware of the of the need to align the 2210s down right. to the the lowest level, and to to start to to kind of bring um, the the budget um, the budget and um, the IT stuff all on the same level. So. Now, Kelly, you're probably the one outlier here about hybrid, is because you guys are so such a big push to commercial. Is, is is do you guys consider hybrid much, or is that just right now depends on the workload? But but generally, is commercial, commercial, commercial. Like I said, our goal is to migrate as many systems as possible to commercial, unless there is a reason not to. Right. And I think that's that's a that's a fair point. I think everyone across the table would probably agree with that. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break. And then we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion, Foundations of Enterprise IT, Modernizing for a Secure Agile Government, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. IT modernization, a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT backend. Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Foundations of Enterprise IT, Modernizing for a Secure Agile Government, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Greg Garcia, the Chief Information Officer, G6, of the Army Corps of Engineers, Michelle Sparrow-Walker, the Department Director in the Information Resource Management Bureau Systems and Integration Office at the Department of State, Todd Simpson, the Chief Product Officer in the Department of Health and Human Services, Kelly O'Connor, a Product Manager for the Veterans Affairs Department's Digital Services Team, and Angie Heisey, the President of the Civil Group for Lidos. Greg, that last segment brought up this, this challenge that I think, Michelle, you also have around this expanded cloud, these moving data centers, because you guys also are not centralized. I don't think anyone here actually on, on our panel has a centralization issue. It's always a very decentralization issue. So maybe Michelle, jump in and start us off with this idea that how's the cloud gonna both make things hopefully easier to, with that decentralized nature of the State Department? Well, one of the things that we are challenged with with our overseas data centers is, is being able to consolidate those. We have, you know, um, posts in 200 different locations around the world, all of which have their own on-premise data centers. And, and because we have a need to maintain command and control at those facilities, we'll never be able to completely eliminate those data centers, although we are um, virtualizing the, um, the infrastructure and optimizing what, what is there. But um, what we're really looking to do is improve our um, connectivity into the cloud from overseas as opposed to right now we're having to backhaul data to domestically into the cloud, um, which um, creates poor performance and, and um, things of that nature. So um, as we explore more innovative and, and, and modernization um, um, opportunities, we're looking at managed services, for instance, for wide area networks so that um, we can reduce the, the troubleshooting and the, and, the, and the various different layers of, of um, of organizations that we have to go through when we're having bandwidth and latency issues overseas, but then also um, overseas trusted internet connections right. so that we can get into the cloud quicker. If we can move the connection into the cloud closer to our overseas post, we know that we can significantly improve the um, performance and the use of the cloud, which 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 has big big benefits from a collaboration perspective, because our our um, overseas mission, you know, requires our our um, diplomats to communicate with local host nations as well as our agency partners as well as back home domestically. So being able to collaborate in the cloud is is a huge benefit from a 
um, from a mission perspective. And I know OMB is trying to address the trusted internet connection yes. of the tick, so it's a whole different discussion. Yeah. But one thing that's interesting is the, the this virtualization and, and yeah. trying to kind of, you, they're not going to be able to give up their data centers, but at least they're going to make them more efficient. I yes. guess that's the key play here. Absolutely. And in fact, we have, you know, in some places we've been able to regionalize, for, um, particularly some of our classified processing. We've been able to, to create these regional hubs for classified processing and move some of that work out of the individual posts into a regional environment. So again, we are reducing the footprint where we can, but we just cannot completely eliminate um, what OMB defines as a data center. Right. You know, Greg, yeah. do you see some similarities of what you're facing with what Michelle is talking about? So absolutely, we're, we're you know as the Corps of Engineers, we're 88% not on camps, posts, or stations, right? So it's kind of a U.S. Army, but not on U.S. Army facilities. So we have that same challenge of you have to have so much, you have to have some combo gear to just connect to the internet mm -hmm. at these facilities. So there's some residue. You know racks that you just have to have to operate in today's connected world. So whether that's just you know one rack or two racks, and then really gets back to mission analysis, what kind of mission you have to, to get after. I think one thing I'd like to highlight is so so the network's kind of the you know the highway, the byways, but what you know what we're also looking at is what data are we pushing around? Is there a more efficient way to push less data around where we can again not clog the the highway? So we can gain efficiencies by reducing. Uh, AIS use of the same data, just pushing the differences as we build better connectivity to the cloud. So it's kind of a two thrust there about not only uh, improve the roads, but improve the carpooling on these roads, <laughs> right? And if you can kind of think that way about, about how we how we live here in DC, right? Well, so 395 HOV is awesome, but if it's you know accidents or jam packed, it's really not any faster than anything else. So really encourage that three person per vehicle rule, right? <laughs> so let's use data once or push it around once or just send the delta of that data around. Especially when you do you know, a lot of GIS mapping, a lot of flood inundation stuff. So it's really about both ends of that stick. Angie, jump in a little bit from your perspective. When, when you hear about this, these, these challenges of, of decentralized agencies but need some centralized services, is that a trend you're seeing? Because Todd talked briefly about hybrid cloud. We talked a little bit about that, the, the, the popularity of it. Is that what we're hearing here, too, is that the, the, the push to, toward hybrid? Yeah, so I think uh, Greg and Michelle, is a cha the challenge that they have is actually common across a lot of companies. It's across a lot of organizations and enterprises. And I think, you know, I liked Greg's highway analogy because I think as you move stuff to the cloud, you can put layers of applications and data analytics and machine learning on top of it so that you are only pulling down the information that is really decision quality as opposed to bulk load data that then you have to write have some local application to do the analysis on. And so as the cloud matures and as all those services on top actually get better, it really does make the entire infrastructure significantly more efficient. And that's the key here, as Greg and Michelle were talking about, they don't want to be stuck on the highway with all this data, but at the same time, they want to make sure their highway is also is 65 or 70 miles an hour. We're going to continue, I'm sure, Greg, the entire discussion about this. Um, let, let me turn to Kelly, because I think well, this all comes back to the bigger point, which is around the business value, and this idea of, getting the data to the right people at the right time to make the right decisions, or in your case, ensuring that the veterans can, can get their services that they need quickly, easily. Uh, so, so talk maybe a little bit about the business value, explaining that as, the, as, as it relates back to moving to the cloud. Sure, so one of the things VA is relentlessly focused on in our cloud strategy are outcomes. So not just cost savings, but more importantly, improving veterans' access to healthcare and benefits. So uh, I can give you an example of just one product. So I mentioned we've launched 45 products over the past two years. Uh, one of them was a very simple online application for healthcare. So VA gets about 600,000 applications each year for healthcare, and in 2015, just 10% of those were coming in online. So what that meant was a veteran had to go to a facility or mail in an application or call a call center. So what our team was able to do with our VA business experts and IT colleagues was stand up and launch a MVP, a minimum viable product, in the cloud that was an online application for healthcare. And so the outcome there that we measured in less than a year, we went from 10% of applications coming in to 40%. So we got close to 300,000 applications with a very simple MVP, a form, uh, with very little advertising. So for us, that's really the end game for cloud improving veteran experience, uh, not just at VA, but with all the agencies the digital service team supports. And I imagine you're able to also look at that and say the processing time 
because if I don't have to deal with the paper yeah. and to, uh, I lose the papers, the MVP I'm sure also includes, hey, you forgot to sign your name or you forgot to fill exactly. out your address. And it, it completely eliminates that because it's automated. Mm -hmm. So the benefits for, you know, they're not just benefits for the veteran, but in terms of VA, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's fewer errors because of manual processing of a form. And the way we're maintaining these applications is amazing. We're shipping code every day, automated testing, automated deployments. So this is really the model we're, we're already delivering and we're trying to scale with our partners in, in IT. I mean, VA is a huge organization, so change is difficult, but we've right. been moving. Oh, sorry, Greg. Uh, this is, uh, Kelly, it's on a great point, right? So the cloud is not all about just production capability, right? The cloud offers you the, the ability to spin up dev and test so much faster, right? So imagine, uh, you know, people always kind of focus on the end product of cloud of production, but just if you focus on the front part of that, you can spin up, use and de-spin up, you know, install, de-stall, uh, all this capability in a matter of fractions of seconds at consumption prices that really drives innovation. Because what you risk are pennies versus hundreds of dollars when you go through old school development, right? So I spin up a couple of VMs, I trust this new agile process to do some kind of new innovative thing, it fails, turn it back down. It works, innovate. And that's the value of the cloud is this capability to rapidly test and develop and then field. Angie? Yeah, so I think Greg and um, Kelly are right. So being able to use what we like to refer to as infrastructure as code mm -hmm. and being able to spin up environments immediately for our software developers, our software engineers to be able to test out capabilities and to be able to run massive tests in hours as opposed to weeks or months and be able to change the infrastructure requirements Usually infrastructure as code requires a little bit more upfront planning, but when you automate it like that, it allows for your cycle time and your ability to test um, to shorten drastically. Um, Ty, I want to bring you in because you guys at HHS also are going down a very similar path. And I know you and I have talked in the past about microservices, and this is very similar, I think, what, what Kelly and, and Greg and Angie are talking about. Maybe talk a little bit about, from your perspective, th that benefit, that value that you are needing to explain to the broader audience yeah. now. And I think Kelly really, really hit it. it. It drives an agile methodology. And when you couple that with a microservices framework, which you're going to exploit the cloud to, to get to that microservices framework in most cases, to, to really get to the, the automation pieces, the code reuse, and all of the other elements that, that make up that, that end solution, the sandboxes, everything that goes into it. Um, so, um, and also, you know, just um, what Greg was saying, just to reinforce, you know, those, those use cases, uh, we, we've had those use cases, uh, genomic sequencing at FDA, where we've proven the value in being able to spin up uh, large environments. Now, there is a there is a cost at the at the back end. You have to invest in that automation technology. If if you really want to be able to do it right, you really want to be nimble. But um, there is definitely huge business value, and it's been proven and time tested. Uh, Kelly, uh, Ty brought up something code reuse. Uh, talk maybe if you can a little bit about the the importance of looking at what you guys are doing at VA and, and can we apply it somewhere else within VA? Can we share it? Is is that something that you guys are, are kind of having that discussion a little bit? I think so. I mean, I'm not an engineer, so <laughs> talking about code is very scary. But everything we do, we try to uh, make reusable, not just within VA to our you know, 300,000 colleagues and 5,000 colleagues in IT, but also to other agencies. So using tools like the playbook, I think it's to mm -hmm. some of that. Um, we also use tool, uh, one of our plays is you know, default to open. So right. using tools like GitHub and having code that's developed in the open has been really exciting at VA, and these are new tools. So change is a scary thing, <laughs> and at VA, they're really committed to, the IT team is really open to, we are going to build a culture of innovation, and that means learning new tools and changing the way we work. So just a very specific example, one of the things we've rolled out at VA that's been working really well are brown bag trainings. So when I started at the digital service, I had no idea what GitHub was, and I came from large consulting firms. So actually rolling out training that says it's okay to come and learn a new tool and say you don't know it, that that's okay. So I think things like that are scalable and repeatable and we've done brown bags on GitHub, uh, DevOps, product management, so those have been going really well. Angie. So we have a, a great agile development methodology um, 
and center in Morgantown, West Virginia that has done an incredible job of building out this enterprise ap application framework, we call it LEAF, so Lighthouse Enterprise Application Framework, that has allowed us to reuse parts of code and um, allowed our software engineers to use this framework to do everything from build out command and control systems to build out portals for enterprise IT or build out systems for healthcare. And so being able to reuse that same code um, across so many different applications is incredibly I'll say it's empowering for our engineers because they get excited that they only do it once. Um, it gets excited for those in the business that are serving our customers every day so we can deliver capabilities significantly faster. And Greg, I know you want to jump in on that note. Sure, yeah, I just a, a couple of great comments have, have, have been uh, forwarded here. So you know, training's really important. Uh, so just something on uh, uh, an example of, we have this uh, project-wise implementation that we were, you know, it's, it's kind of where the business flows, right? So generally are very district-oriented in implementation of projects. But what we what we found in the last uh, disaster recovery with over, you know, four hurricanes, California fires, mudslides, is that we had to look outside districts because just there isn't enough skilled people. So these products have to work beyond and with new work teams as they form to do work as changes between Corps of Engineers, other federal partners, other nation partners. So a lot of this is you have to share your data, right? So your data is not your data anymore. Your business process isn't your business process anymore. It really has to be a shared process. And this agile development process really adds to that. The cloud adds to that for access, and that's really the, the learning point we have to get to in the future. Michelle. Yeah. <clears throat> Similarly, we're, we're building out a standard operating environment in our enterprise cloud so that um, you know, there'll, there'll be built-in common controls that can be leveraged by other customers who deploy their systems in our environment. So um, from a DevOps perspective, um, moving um, through deve development tests, staging and into production, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to keep our production environment pristine because we won't allow developers into that environment at all to make changes. It'll all be code-based and, and using automation and orchestration to do those updates. So um, we think that we're going to gain some significant um, value and benefit in um, decreasing the time to deliver because of those automated processes. In fact, if you look at the Federal IT Dashboard, which I'm a big fan of, I spend probably way too much time there, uh, you see that the number of projects that are using this Agile Development Iterative Framework is just up, up, up. I think it's something like 60% of all projects on it. Um, so let me, I'll bring Angie in here since she's probably the one here that can talk best about the, the, the broader trend. Have you seen this acceptance better than, you know, in the last 20, 30 years of technology than what we've seen between cloud and then agile? I, I can't name something that, that where the government had said, yes, we're going to take that from industry and, and run with it. Usually it's, we'll take it from industry and crawl with it. Yeah, so um, ironically, I started off my career as a software engineer <laughs> way too many years ago, uh, but it has been something that I've seen not only embraced, but, um, you know, quite honestly, a lot of the talent that we're trying to hire, that's the, that's the methodology they were taught. And so that's what they expect when they come to industry or whether they come to government or commercial companies. And what I have always found is that it is, you get such a better result because it really takes your partnership into account and working with clients to make sure that you're absolutely addressing the right requirements to get those outcomes that Kelly talked about so that you're delivering real mission value the first time around and not the second or third with iterations from um, more traditional um, elements, right. yes. Mm -hmm. Kelly, I know digital service gets a lot of credit and a lot of blame for this. So, so I, I imagine that just from your perspective, uh, are you seeing that within VA as well? Just that acceptance of not just cloud, but but that the move to agile. I mean, is that something that oh, not only course. do you promote it, but people and I don't, come to you? Yeah, and I don't think digital service is the the know-it-all for that. We consider ourselves learn-it-alls as well. So, the one thing I will point out is that I think. Um, a lot of times what we're seeing is people calling things agile that are just waterfall really fast, <laughs> done really well. And I think that's fine, like we're all learning, but um, no, VA, the VA OINT team has been open to agile and these new methods. Now I think getting to things like DevOps and shipping code every day and automated testing, for us that's the next level. So we're really focusing on, I think the automated testing is, is really just so beneficial. I've seen that throughout as well. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take a quick break and come back. We can continue our conversation, maybe jump into some questions like cybersecurity. Who knows? You're listening to the panel discussion, Foundations of Enterprise IT, Modernizing for a Secure Agile Government, sponsored by Lighthouse on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. IT Modernization.
a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT backend. Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Foundations of Enterprise IT, Modernizing for a Secure Agile Government, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Greg Garcia, the Chief Information Officer G6 for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Michelle Sparrow-Walker, the Department Director in the Information Resource Management Bureau's Systems and Integration Office of the Department of State, Todd Simpson, the Chief Product Officer for the Department of Health and Human Services, Kelly O'Connor, a Product Manager for the Veterans Affairs Department's Digital Services Team, and Angie Heisey, the President of the Civil Group for Lidos. Right before break, we started talking a little bit about the, the Agile idea and, and this idea of you know iterative, Agile, fast waterfall. I, I enjoyed that. I may steal that eventually from you, Kelly. Uh, but there's also the, that also leading us down to the path of security and this idea of DevSecOps. So let me turn to Angie first about this and talk a little bit about what you're seeing in, in the government about this inching towards that, that concept. Absolutely. So Lidos has adopted the best practice of DevSecOps, and one of the reasons that we've done that is the ability for software engineering teams to rebuild, rescan, retest every single night really adds to not only a better product but also a more secure product. And we have a recent example with uh, GSA where Red Hat had a major um, patch that we needed to to release over 500 servers. And the industry standard said it should take three to six months and we were able to implement it in less than 30 days. And so when you start seeing that type of productivity improvements for your teams, which also means everything, all those 500 servers were more secure for some mat time between uh, one month and five months more, um, you really start getting a much more secure environment. That's a great example of the GSA. Now you're able to do that because you're able to put make a change, test the code, make a change, test the code versus, all right, let's make all these changes. Oh, we broke something. I mean, that's yeah, that's the difference here. You're able to do it every single night and be able to, to repeat that process over and over again. And if something does break, you can fix it immediately, immediately. versus that. End. And I, th I think that's the that's why it's so, people are, are, are moving toward it because of that ability to, to make the change. Uh, maybe Todd, jump in a little bit and talk a little bit about how HHS is using that model too. Well, so uh, the, the DevOps model is, um, is something that we're trying to get underway in my office and the chief product office, um, but we're, we're not at the level of maturity. Um, I was actually going to comment about um, cloud brokerage and the security brokerage model that um, Michelle had touched upon earlier. She uh, talked about the customers were kind of finding their own solutions into the cloud, and, and then we were kind of and I'm putting words in her mouth here, kind of uh, uh, summarizing, but then our governance strategies were kind of coming out of that. And, um, and I, I just wanted to mention that that cloud security brokerage model, it's fascinating to me because if you look around government and you look at uh, initiatives like CDM we, and, and TIC and MTIPS and these other things that you, you mentioned, OMB, um, there's not always continuity between these things, and and when you look at the the the, devs, the DevOps sec or the um, or the cloud brokerage security models, they're often playing catch up with CDM. CDM didn't have the the tool sets in it to really support, in my opinion, or the the cloud first initiative. The, the tools weren't there. The tools to watch the data that was traversing um, the tick. There's still this this conversation around the tick, and um, and I'm I'm wondering anecdotally if there's really a necessity to even talk about antiquated terms like the tick and MTIPS anymore. Because in my experience with the cloud, these have become outdated. Um, artifacts. So I, I don't know what frustrated ones too. For a lot of yeah. People. So and I so I don't know where <laughs> that. where that's gonna where that's gonna go. But um, I, I just um, uh, there's too much conversation here. So um, well, let me let me back you up for the cloud brokerage model because I think it's an interesting uh, approach. So basically, what you guys are doing is you're setting up the sandbox and you're saying, okay, if you're gonna enter the sandbox, here's the requirements. But what you would do in that sandbox, you can do whatever you want. Uh, again, simplifying it. Right. That's and, the concept. And and you know, without having um, cleared 
covered my um, my, my talking points with FDA ethics. Um, <laughs> I'll, what I'll say, I'll, I'll rely on things that I've already said. Um, at FDA, we were moving toward that model of code reuse, that model of agility, with the with the goal of getting um, faster implementation times. And I think the best example was that infant formula tracking database right. that we used using a SaaS solution, all cloud-based, sponsored the ATO, soup to nuts, 90 days, great solution. And it wasn't just a fast waterfall. It was re-engaging the customer every day and, and working with the customer in a, a really heightened manner um, and really listening to customer requirements. And, and Kelly, from your perspective, I mean, that's the other piece that the, the DevSecOps is bringing in is you're working with the customer, you're making changes, but you're also ensuring that they're secure changes. Of course, so VA handles tons of very sensitive health and personally identifiable data. So the, the one point I'll make on security, just from a business perspective is, we feel that government agencies need to take advantage of the private sector expertise. So the leading cloud providers are making huge investments in areas like security, much more than government spending. So our approach is encrypt everything. Take advantage of the private sector for encryption at the infrastructure level, but then also do encryption at the application level. So we think that approach is, is the best approach going forward. Um, Angie, um, Kelly just opened the door for you to walk through very nicely, but talk maybe a little bit about the cloud brokerage model that, that Todd brought up as well. Is that something that you're seeing more uh, agencies asking about or at least interested in? Yeah, I think most enterprises are trying to to determine, and many of them are going in that direction to set up their organization so that they can utilize the cloud in an easy way, to, an easy way, but also with some boundaries and some expectations, whether it be policies, um, how they're going to go about using it. And I think that's a great way to set up that infrastructure and also encourage you so you don't have multiple organizations going out and doing their own thing in their own way, which then honestly cre creates a long-term IT problem because it's going to be something you have to rationalize down the road. Michelle, jump in. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we did have business units jump out there quick and, and, and acquire a lot of things. But so what, what we're focused on now is creating centers of excellence with some of those early adopters, right, so that they can become service providers for other parts of the organization who want, who want to take advantage of some of those same solutions that, that they've invested in. Um, and then from an enterprise perspective, you know, our um, PaaS and IaaS uh, environment that we're building with the security templates built in and everything. Um, so if you're a, 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 a business unit with your own, currently your own data center, you can bring that system into our cloud environment, take advantage and leverage the common controls we put in place. Um, that means our information assurance office only has to um, assess one environment, our security folks only have to monitor in one environment, but if you absolutely have to have your own, we'll take standard template of, of the in, uh, uh, standard operating environment template and configuration, and, and those, those parameters get applied into those non-enterprise environments. And so um, th those, are, those are all opportunities to sort of bring things together and, and create a more of a, a, um, an e a cloud ecosystem that, that we can consider an enterprise and not individual um, business units out doing their own thing. How much complaints you get when, when people want to step outside of the, the norm and you go, no, 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 you're going to come back this way a little bit. You can do it on your own, but here's your here's the sandbox you're going to play in. Yeah, it, it's difficult because, I mean, everybody from a from a business unit perspective, you, you don't have as much to think about as you do from an enterprise yeah. perspective. Right? So they can quickly move out on things. And so um, it's a challenge um, keeping up with the appetite that people have because the cloud, I mean, everybody is, is excited about getting out there quickly, you know, deploying and delivering solutions. And so um, it, it's definitely a challenge. But, you know, the security stick, is a pretty big stick. I yes, mean, no one is. wants to be the one who, you know, who who puts an environment out there that ends up getting, um, you know, infiltrated or, or something. So um, that the security is a pretty big stick, and we have security working with us from an enterprise perspective. So um, that's that's the, um, the the largest piece of leverage that we have right now. Todd, did you want to jump in? Just that Angie and Michelle both made excellent points uh, about not reinventing the wheel, and it really speaks to why my office was created. Um, and and uh, so when I, I, I just want to be the first one on this show to say brokerage service <laughs> and um, shared services. Um, and, um, and, you know, there are all these things that Optives are doing really well. And I think um, under the leadership of Beth at, at HHS, she had a vision to, um, to exploit those strengths and play to those strengths, hence my office. And as, as you've heard me talk about before, at the very beginning of, of my pipeline, there's this um, rationalization against what's already out there. And that was Beth's um, vision, that before we build anything, before we buy anything, 
we look at requests that come in and they can be as as big as, as the moon. They can be analyzing data sets, building um, databases or applications. It doesn't matter. When it comes in, the first thing we do is rationalize it, which speaks to that duplication issue I mentioned earlier. And it also starts chipping away at the interoperability issue because through our conversations today, the code reuse and getting better at managing APIs and all that kind of stuff, um, I think it'll settle out to a, a more mature, um, long game. It We'll turn to Michelle, but you, I want to build on something that Kelly said about the encryption at the infrastructure layer, at the data layer. That's a huge issue for, for the State Department, and there's this push and pull with the cloud around this broader cybersecurity discussion. Maybe talk a little bit about how you guys are addressing the data challenge that you have to, again, send data from a post or a station in, in, in uh, you know, the Middle East yeah. to back to the U.S. Yeah. and vice versa. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's... Uh, you know, the focus right now is on classifying the data, right? And um, because everything is uh, it's all about the data. And so if we can um, identify the categorization of data and then build security controls around whether it's a high level of data, moderate level, and they have different levels of, of security control. Um, so we're focused on the data categorization and we're just starting to look at um, analyze, analyze alternatives for um, information protection, um, digital rights management, um, and things of that nature so that we can um, balance security with accessibility, right? I mean, you got to be concerned about security, but at the same time, the data needs to be accessible um, to the people who need to to act on it or share it or, um, you know, just have just have access to it. And so uh, the figuring out, you know, how to what how much security to put on top of the uh, of the of the data when we're trying to move it? How much encryption is is encryption that that one system is using going to conflict with encryption in another system? Which is one of the things we're dealing with right now. Um, it's 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 a challenge. It's a challenge we're struggling with. Angie, maybe jump in a little bit about that secure data piece because I think that the challenge that Michelle described is something that's not unique just to state, but probably with most agencies. Yeah, so I think there's a couple things to consider when you think about data. One is the, certainly security, and in the U.S., we're a little bit behind from uh, probably policy and regulation on which data needs to be protected and how, and so organizations are trying to figure out for themselves how to best do that. And Michelle has a, has a much larger challenge because across the globe, there's lots of different data privacy standards, and you have to follow all of those. And then the, the last thing that I'll say is that most organizations have so much data at their fingertips, and they probably don't even use a fraction of it. And so I think the organizations in the future that will absolutely succeed will be the ones that understand not only how to classify their data, but how to best utilize it to make their businesses more efficient, how to allow their talent to be best used and to be able to drive the best decision making for whether it's their end customers, their stakeholders, or their enterprise as a whole. This has been uh, just a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. So let me just kind of give some, let's leave the audience with a little bit of, of thought. Todd, let me start with you since we started the whole discussion with you. We'll come back with you. And, and all this, what we talked about, cloud, DevOps, DevSecOps, cybersecurity data, they're all really driving toward this IT modernization vision that's been uh, ongoing, I would say, for the last 20 years. So maybe where, where do you see all these pieces fitting together to drive HHS toward IT modernization? So I think it's bigger than HHS now. I think that the, the federal leadership at large at the, at the GSA, OMB, and the Federal CIO Council are aware of the, the opportunity that, that um, all these new technologies present, and um, we've learned a lot of lessons. Um, you know, from what I spoke to the CDM, having to catch up with CDM, things like that. Um, I, I didn't make that up. Other smart people told me <laughs> stuff like that. So um, I, I think that we're going to coalesce around um, uh, a new pathway. And, I, and I, I know this. I spent the day at GSA yesterday. So um, in my role, I've been um, put on a committee um, for the Federal CIO Council. And the goal is to start to get ahead of these problems. Like we have a problem with, uh, with data centers being vacated so fast that we're, um, we have vacant real estate. And we, we need to somehow um, make sure that that real estate is available uh, to be repurposed. For example, so as we as we move to this new future, there are, you know, you're, we're moving from the wagon wheel to the to the to the tire, and um, and so it's going to be a change in paradigm. 
And I think that um, I think that staying the course and um, learning those lessons from an HHS perspective, wrap this up quick. I think my position speaks to what we're trying to do. Okay. Kelly, real quick. Yep, so we view all of these things as enablers. So it's all about delivering better, modern products to, to veterans and end users. So all of our digital services teams across agencies partner with our awesome agency colleagues to have an impact, right? So the biggest blocker for us is we need more people. <laughs> so if you are out there and you want to work on a cause that you're passionate about and you want to have a real impact, please come join us at the, at the U.S. Digital Service. I joined the VA team because my dad's a Vietnam combat veteran, and this is the best job I'll ever have. Excellent. Well, there's Thank no, you. There's not a better... Uh, a promotion than, than that in terms of like... Uh, I feel very lucky, so yes. thank you. All right, Angie. So, you know, I think technology is is amazing because it's constantly changing and we have things like machine learning and artificial intelligence and voice that is really going to transform not only every business process that we do today, but it's going to transform how our workforce operates. And so... CIOs and organizations and companies that really embrace technology, even if it's on a small scale, to figure out how to, to make their organizations more efficient, to make them more agile, will really benefit in the future because their workforce will be completely transformed ahead of other organizations. All right, and Michelle, you get the last word. And I think I think at the State Department, the vision for IT is that of a mobile diplomat, right? So being able to leverage the cloud to access accurate and up-to-date information from uh, to conduct transactions or exchange data securely from any device, anytime, anywhere around the world, right, to conduct the, the State Department's global <coughs> diplomatic mission. And I think that we're on track to realize that vision with the centers of excellence that I talked, to, I talked about around the most widely adopted cloud solutions, emphasis on our mobile computing program, which we didn't talk much about, but uh, we are emphasizing that, and then improving our overseas network and networks, and then, um, again, keeping cybersecurity as the number one priority. All right, very good. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today. This has been a, just a fascinating conversation. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Foundations of Enterprise IT, Modernizing for a Secure Agile Government, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. Let me thank my guests for today, Greg Garcia, the Chief Information Officer, G6, for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Michelle Sparrow-Walker, the Department Director in the Information Resource Management Bureau's Systems and Integration Office at the Department of State, Todd Simpson, the Chief Product Officer for the Department of Health and Human Services, Kelly O'Connor, a Product Manager for the Veterans Affairs Department's Digital Services Team, and Angie Heisey, the President of the Civil Group for Lidos. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com, search Enterprise IT. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Foundations for Enterprise IT, Modernizing for a Secure, Agile Government, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Enterprise IT.